Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Joe Jack Talcum guitarist and vocalist for the Chester County, Pennsylvania punk rock band, The Dead Milkmen. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their most successful single, Punk Rock Girl, taken from the 1988 album, Beelzebubba. This song is a classic in so many ways. It found a place on radio and MTV at a time when everything was so polished and pop perfect. Punk Rock Girl is neither of those. It's a band capturing a moment in time. A sound that only they could have created. Producer Brian Beatty was an integral part of this process, with Joe agreeing he was basically the fifth member of the band. They had a sound that didn't need manipulation or studio trickery. It was real and raw and funny. Did I mention funny? Because this song is hilariously tongue-in-cheek and completely off the cuff. And speaking of off the cuff, Joe had never before played the accordion until this recording. A recording that, again, somehow made it onto the radio and MTV. Super cool. So for all this and a steaming hot cup of tea, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Well, hello there, Joe. How's it going? Oh, it's great. And should I call you Joe or Joe Jack? What do you like? Whatever you like. Most (laughs) people call me Joe these days, but Joe Jack is... That make, will make me feel like I'm back in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Is that good or bad? (laughs) It's... It's not bad, but it's it's okay. Gotcha. Are are you in Philadelphia right now? Uh, Yeah, I'm right outside Philly. Nice. Okay. I think you have the dubious honor of being the first guest that is recording outside. So we're getting we're getting the streets of, of uh, outside of Philly uh, noise in the background. I like it. It's authentic. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. You got people mowing their lawns already. Nine in the morning. I can't believe it. Exactly. So, you know, I, a couple things here. This song, okay, <laughs> it's so funny because I know how your band started. And for the listeners, you know, Joe, it, it, the story reminds me a lot of myself. You know, I, I remember getting my first four-track recorder, you know, and in 1979, you you were doing these home recording projects that, you know, you were uh, playing for your friends and you made up this imaginary band called the Dead Milkmen that ended up 
being not an imaginary band. <laughs> and uh, right. your, your first performance happened in July 83. Uh, in 1985, uh, Restless Records, a subsidiary of Enigma, released your debut LP, Big Lizard in My Backyard, featuring Bitchin' Camaro, which was kind of like a college radio hit at that time. And that's when I first heard the band. Bitchin' Camaro, Bitchin' Camaro, I ran over my neighbors. And you're just kind of going along recording these records. And in 1988, you released Beelzebubba, your fourth album, which featured the song we're going to talk about today, Punk Rock Girl. And I noticed it was the seventh track out of 17. So I don't think anyone was thinking this was going to be a hit. But do you recall writing Punk Rock Girl? Yeah, it was in 1986, right after we released our second album, uh, Eat Your Paisley. I remember coming up with the idea for it, and I remember writing most of the song and then bringing it to Dave Blood, our bass player, Dave Schulteis, and playing it for him and asking him for lyrical help because I had I didn't have all of my verses. But the whole idea of the song was there, and he he helped me along pushed me across the finish line, more or less. Gave me the mini pearl line of that was one of them. Gave me the, <laughs> do you have a bow line? And I can't wait till we get to the Mojo Nixon line, which we'll get to. There's so much stuff in this song that's just ab- <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And I, I I gotta say, tip of the hat to you guys. You, you really paved the way. I mean, there was nothing else on radio or MTV. I mean, maybe they might be giants, but there wasn't much in the 80s. You had, D- you had Devo, but there wasn't a lot of bands doing what you guys were doing. And to all of a sudden get embraced with a track like this. I mean, this song's pretty loose. It's very groggy. It's punky. Uh, there's there, all all the uh, the blemishes are there for all to see. It's not a perfect lined up recording yet. It was your first hit. <laughs> oh well, we always we considered Bitch and Camara our first hit. Yeah, you you know what? You're, yeah, you're I, and I and I mentioned that earlier. You're right. Okay, but this yeah. was this was your but first this was mainstream. First, uh, this was our first video that was played on MTV in a format other than the what they had the 120 minutes but not in other words not on the alternative show well that's the other thing i wanted to ask you i don't recall if 120 minutes was around as early as 88 but there was a thing called do you remember postmodern mtv i do but uh, i'll tell you 120 minutes was around it was okay <laughs> we were, yeah, it was because that's where they first showed our video okay okay girl. and that's also where they first showed our Big Time Operator video, which is the one we had from the previous album. That was from uh, the Bucky Fellini record? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Very cool. Well... What was that like at the time? <laughs> you're just, like I said, you're going along. You guys were out playing the punk rock circuit. We were. We were on tour when it all blew up. And we would hear from our manager, like on weekly uh, comp, weekly bone. But like our, our road manager would hear from our our manager and tell us what was going on. And he's like, oh, it's a, 
it's now in rotation on <laughs> on MTV, and we're like, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that had to be incredible. And and, and and re- and remember, this is before uh, uh, smartphones, and you could just you know get on a computer and find out what was going on in the world. You guys are trapped. No, you guys yeah. are trapped in a van driving around, getting to pay phones or, or the venue calling your tour manager's that's calling right. the manager. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how that's the scene it was. Right. And we we'd hear from our fans too, saying we saw this on on uh, MTV and we could also see more people were coming to the shows as a result. What a beautiful uh, video though. The innocence of, of you four. It's just, <laughs> you know, back then you guys were adults to me. You had a couple years on me. I was an MTV kid watching down in, you know, suburban Florida, this, this band, the dead milkman. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, I'm just amazed at that time period uh, how this transpired. And can you set that up a little bit? How, how do you think it happened? Did someone from the label walk it into MTV or was there a fan there? Do you recall? Certainly the label had their publicists and they had people pushing videos all the time. They, they required us to make a video, one per album. And they saw, it was always someone at the label had the final say on where that, which song they're going to put their money into. It's a little, little bit surprised of their choice, but we're obliging we we make the video in fact we had control over who would um direct it you mentioned they might be giants uh we saw they might be giants video for the put your hand inside the puppet whatever hand whatever and we we wanted we wanted to know who made that video because that's that that looked cool to us and we found out it was a guy in uh, a director in new york named adam bernstein for Bernstein and um, he agreed to make our video too. And that's how we, he came down to Philly and talked to us about ideas and found some cool locations. And, and think of MTV in the eighties, how perfect it was, the makeup, the hair, and you can see you messing up the lip syncing in the video and, 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 and saying, stop. It's just, it was so real. You didn't really see that back then. The video really stuck out yeah. for those reasons. Well, that was all, that was all planned, of course, Yeah, for the video, but that's, <laughs> we were doing our take, our little spoof of MTV videos. Do you remember who you were on the road with back uh, around this record? And the reason I ask is you guys always kind of floated, you know, you, to me, you're, you're a garage rock punk rock band, but you know, you were never really in that pop punk world either. At this time we had not, we had not, as far as I can remember, gone, gone on tour as a support act with anyone. Um, Shortly after this, I guess our first big support act uh, thing where we would be the opening act was for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but this this was prior to then. Mm-hmm. So we would play whatever show we can get. We played a lot of DIY shows in our in our early for our first uh, couple albums. We didn't even have a booking agent, our manager, and and us together. We'd all book our own stuff, and then for our third album, we had a booking agent. So by then, we had a booking agent, and a lot of the places that weren't DIY that we played. We, we could still play our DIY shows. We just have to coordinate that with you're right. Agent. But he was getting us a lot of um, actual college shows where we were playing colleges. And many of those shows would be like free to the students, but the college uh, student union was paying, paying the bill or something like that. And some of them were ticketed shows. And we were also starting to get into playing uh, small theaters and a lot of clubs. And when we when we play clubs, we'd request double headers as, as often as possible because a lot of states would only 
do the 21 and up and we would do the all ages shows. That was our, we kind of had our idea back then that a lot of our bands were, wouldn't be able to get to see us at a bar show. Well, it's amazing revisiting this song, Joe, because I've heard it a ton of times, <laughs> but going back and, and dissecting it with fresh ears, as I do here, I, it, it's amazing to me the influences of what came after. You know, um, my producer before we started rolling, he was saying, "Man, I thought this was like a '90s song because I think you guys might have been on Beavis and Butthead or something." And this song and the video does seem like a '90s song because think about the '90s, what happened once they usher, you know, once Nirvana hit, it was like all these quirky type bands, and then bands that I was starting to get into the punk rock bands like Screeching Weasel, No Effects, Mr. T Experience. I mean, your melodies and your inflection is all over those bands. Oh, speaking of no, no Effects, we had happened to have played a show with No Effects the, the year before this album came out, when we, were, when we were touring for the Bucky Fellini album. Oh, wow. We played with them in El Paso, Texas on a pig farm. That was fun. <laughs> that was <good>. <laughs> That was my first hearing of that band. Okay, okay. Well, uh, Joe, I want to jump into the track now. It's two minutes and 40 seconds of just, uh, to me, perfection. There's there's, there's such a charm to this song. Uh, the intro is a 20-bar intro with the whole band. Drums, bass, and jangly guitar panned slight left. Was that guitar doubled? Probably. Okay, it sounds like it, okay, and in parts, but it's it's interestingly tight with, within itself, even with the imperfections of, of the, uh, you know, the, the playing. Yeah, certain songs we would, I would allow, uh, I would go with doubling guitar. It's usually a producer decision. Brian Beatty was the producer of this the album this was on. We had this second album with him. We had already worked with him on the Bucky Fellini album and liked the results. Was he like... A friend at this point? Did you trust him? Did you feel like you could let him into the process? Yeah, because he was a. We could trust him even back for the previous album because we got to know him uh, from our first, from Glass Eyes' first tour of the United States. They, they, that's the band that he was a bass player for. They, they stopped in Philly, and that's when we first met them and stayed in communication from then on. In fact, they helped us get our first show in Austin, Texas on our first tour, which was one of the best shows we played on that tour in 85. Do you recall if this was done to two inch tape or was it eight track? It was two inch tape. Two inch tape, okay. Yeah. Okay, and- our, our very first album was eight track, so that would be the one inch. Yeah. And then our second album was 16 track. I'm not sure the inches. Yeah. <laughs> and our third album was our first 24 track and that was uh, the two inch tape. And so it's likewise our fourth album. And we recorded it in we recorded it in Austin, Texas. And it sounds like this was cut live off the floor, barring maybe maybe the guitar solo and the accordion and the vocal. It was. That's the way we we like to. That's Brian's approach was to do it that way. He would separate as much as possible the amps of the guitars and the bass to facilitate mixing, or in, in case he needed to do any punch-ins. Mm -hmm. But it, that we always did it live. We wouldn't do too many takes of anything, <laughs> but we would do maybe three or four and then come in before we'd even listen to anything. We would also almost always do three 
at least takes of everything and then come and listen to and then pick the one vote on the one we all want to keep and then do the dubs on that one you know i haven't I mean, i'm sure they're out there i haven't looked on uh, youtube or spotify i'm sure there's covers of this song but nobody sounds like the dead milkman it's like t- trying to do a cover of this song me sitting in a bar somewhere with an acoustic guitar it's just not going to translate there's so much of your personality on this recording and yeah it's loose yes there's mistakes yes there's bad notes when was a performance good enough to leave on tape for you guys? A lot of it was the feel, and a lot of it had to was how the drum performance was, because that you could often fix everything. If if the drum performance was wrong, then the whole the whole song would fall apart. So it's really bass bass and drums were what we were looking at. I could always overdub something, or you know we'd leave a lot of bad guitar stuff. But if you put stuff on, people won't notice it, and it's a, it gives it it gives it a good feel and a lot of times when you try to fix stuff it just wrecks it well (laughs) yeah especially (laughs) with something like this it's just uh there's so much i'll I'll use the word again there's so much character here it's steeped in character uh (laughs) verse one one saturday i took a walk to zip her head i met a girl there and she almost knocked me dead one saturday i took a walk to zip her head I met a girl there, and she almost knocked me dead. So, a couple things here. Uh, <laughs> Zipperhead, is that down in the South Street area of Philly? Yes. It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this was really for our Philly Philly fans. And to be honest, it was a song that, that was written for the duo that Dave and I had as a side project where we only played in Philly. And we played... I played uh, electric guitar, he played electric bass, and we had no percussion, and we just played, we both sang. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, we only played bars and and small places. So was the Zipperhead area considered like, uh, my band just played TLA recently, is it like that? practically across it would have been practically across the street from TLA. Okay. Okay. It doesn't exist anymore, but they were the punk clothing shop. Okay, okay, gotcha. And I uh, meant to ask you earlier, you had mentioned DIY and playing playing wherever. Did you ever play the first Unitarian Church in Philly? Yes, but funnily, funnily enough, not in our first incarnation, but in our second incarnation. Okay, okay, when you came in back. 2009, or 2008, 2008. What a cool collective yeah. that is. That's the, the yeah. great, great, great shows there. Well, so what's going on here in verse one? Set it, set it up for us. Well, I wanted to write... Um, a punk rock love song and a lot of songs start out with you know woke up did this when took a walk whatever but you know i figured it's it would be like a love or lust at first sight but love at first sight and i kind of the idea was that it was um a kind of straight normal or normie falling in love with not only the punk rock girl but the punk rock lifestyle entirely and that's why there's the anarchy well that's the first verse is just meeting and uh, being smitten. And real quick, what was the punk rock scene like? You know, for the listeners, you got to remember, this is before the punk rock explosion in the 90s. It was more like a walk on the wild side kind of story than back then. Now now it's seeped into the culture so much. But then it was it was a little more, you're, you're taking a little more risk when you would uh, dress punk. I mean, you, you had your part-time punks like that that 
<laughs> right. We're weekend punks, but <laughs> yeah. But if you were living when it, you got your hair dyed green permanently, then you know you knew you're you're in it for it, or something like that. We got a mohawk. <laughs> I love that. I'll tell you something else. Again, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this song. It's a lot, okay. And I've gotten really good, uh, and I've amazed people. I've been in airports before, and I'll just look at somebody and go. Hey, you're from Philly? And they go, yeah, how'd you know? And I can just tell from dialects. I've been touring for 30 uh, years. Yeah. The, al- the, sink, accents, the, yeah. the word almost here is so Philly. Like when you say almost in this first verse, it made me chuckle. And there's other words. I'm not going to point them all out. But it's just so great that I never really noticed that until, again, putting getting the microscope on here and, and re- really uh, really looking at it. It just uh, made, me, made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> really, really cool. Chorus 1 comes in at the 24-second mark. We get gang backing vocals here on Punk Rock Girl on each, uh, each of the first two lines. They're very loose, and they're largely panned off to the right punk rock girl please look at me punk rock girl what do you see let's travel around the world just you and me punk rock girl yeah that's the main character wanting to be uh noticed and uh regarded and he's fantasizing was there a punk rock girl, a real a real person? Uh, not in my life at the time. I was completely, this is a completely made up story. But okay. like I said, I wanted it. And also the punk rock girl is a stand-in for punk rock itself. So. Oh, nice. Okay, so a little, little, little metaphor going on there. And because I noticed yeah, there was in a... My, in my warped brain. <laughs> I noticed there was a, a lady in a green mohawk in the video. So I didn't know if you knew her. Yeah. We, well, we we got to know her. She was cast. She was an act, actress. Oh wow! Okay, out of chorus one, we get right into verse two. I tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Do you have a bell?" She looked at me and smiled and said, "She did not know." Tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Do you have a bow?" She looked at me and smiled and said, "She did not know." <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like she was hanging out in South Street for a little too long. Yeah, this is uh, Dave Dave Blood's uh, work in the lyrics department. Okay. But, yeah, I I was like stuck on this. I I knew that I needed to ask her if she had a girlfriend, and but those words are too too awkward for uh, lyrics. And he said, "What about Bo?" And I never had heard that term before. And he said, "Well, that that just means a, a boyfriend, or do you have a boyfriend?" Or, and I like the fact that that she, it's ambiguous. Like she looks at me and smiles and says, "Oh, I don't know. Maybe I do now." Sort of thing. <laughs> or that's the hopeful thing. But <laughs> do you recall recording a demo for this? Did you guys demo back oh, then? Oh yeah, we demoed. Okay. We we we're, we're like constant recorders because that's we're not uh, sight readers or music writers per se. Like trained musically, we weren't, we weren't musically trained people to do that, but. Whenever we got an idea, I'd, I'd put it on tape. And do you recall the demo changing to, to the actual recording that we that we all know? Um, it was very faithful, right down to the introduction. In fact, frustratingly for me, the guitar solo, the the whatever what I would play, the the <laughs> and that was an overdub, of course. Brian would want something closer to what I played on the demo, which made me not want to play, <laughs> not not make demos with such. But we did. We we would basically play live. I mean, not basically. This is the demos we sent to Brian. 
ahead of time before we, we went out to Boston were merely us in our rehearsal space playing the song. And we'd, we'd update them from week to week until, you know, as we progressed and give him the latest one. Well, because you had mentioned that Dave wrote some lyrics here. So were there lyric holes in the demo or had he written them by the demo point? Well, he had written them by the time the, de- the Milkman got together because, like I said, we played the song out in public as the Ornamental Wigwam. That was our duo project. Okay. Uh, in 86, 87. We recorded this at the end of, uh, I guess, at the beginning. We recorded this album in 88. So, honestly, it was a fan. It was somebody in the audience at one of our shows who suggested we, we do it as a, a Milkman. And so we asked the the other two guys if they wanted to, to do it when we were looking for material to add to the yells above them. You talked about the guitar solo and uh, your producer, he said he wanted it to feel more like the demo. And that's kind of dangerous with a band like yours because you have been doing home recording for so long. And, you, and I think, you know, at least I believe this, when I'm doing demos, I'm not thinking like I am when I'm recording it for real per se in a studio you just lay down those initial ideas and sometimes there's just a charm there that you can't escape and uh, that sounds like what maybe he yeah, was hearing you get, with- you get demoitis we used to call it right yeah where you're afraid to get, go to do something completely different and then i would like to do something completely different and <laughs> have the producer tell me not to <laughs> did you guys was this a pretty loose uh thing in the studio where there, where there are lots of laughs were you having fun or do you recall it ever getting tense I don't recall tension. We had we recorded most of the song on on a Friday, and there was something left over to like the accordion wasn't wasn't working, and because uh, I was trying to play it, and Brian we didn't record on weekends. We only did Monday through Friday, so we had the weekend off in Texas. And Brian lent me his accordion and said, "If, if you can practice this." over the weekend and get it good enough you can play it and then on monday i thought i had it good enough but it still wasn't good enough for him so he played the accordion okay part on it <laughs> and i had my idea he just made it yeah he played it he, he could play any he's like those in, the guys who could play any instrument here's a producer handing you an instrument you never played and it's, hey kid go brush up on this on the weekend we're going to record on monday when you come back who who does and that i couldn't get it who does, well he did it yeah <laughs> that is awesome. Probably because I wanted to do it. <laughs> life is shit. Life is shit. The world is shit. The world is shit. Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Joe Jack Talcum after a few words from our sponsors. To all the guys out there listening, we all know first impressions matter. And if you're not taking care of your skin, people are going to notice. They'll either think you're way older than you are or that you just don't care about your appearance. Well, show them you do and make a great first impression with Caldera Lab. I try to make skincare an important part of my everyday routine, just like brushing my teeth and flossing and styling my hair. It's just as easy and sometimes even quicker with Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Skincare has been the Wild West for men for years. That's why they've made the solution simple. It's three products. The Clean Slate, which is a face wash to start and end your day. The Base Layer, which is a daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin. And The Good, which is a go-to multifunctional serum 
that helps your skin look tighter and smoother. They also have the Icon Eye Serum, which addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eye. Fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. One minute in the morning and at night is all it takes to reduce your skin wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. Clinical trials have found that 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger-looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. So now is the time to see what it can do for you. We have an exclusive offer for Krista Makes a Podcast listeners, and it's the best offer available anywhere. Use the code DEMAKES at calderalab.com and get 20% off right now. Get 20% off with code DEMAKES at calderalab.com and make unforgettable first impressions that lead to the confidence you deserve. That's 20% off at calderalab.com with code DEMAKES. You'll be glad you did. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And in the sky I saw Richard Nixon. Smoking a lacy with Mr. Dixon. And now, back to the show. Chorus 2 is right off the heels of verse 2. And Joe, we got new lyrics here, different from chorus 1. Really, every time the punk rock girl part, what I'm calling the chorus, comes around, there are different lyrics. Punk rock girl, give me a chance. Punk rock girl, let's go slam dance. Well, dress like <laughs> Minnie Pearl, just you and me, punk rock girl. The Minnie Pearl line was Dave's. I, I wanted to get slam dancing in there because that's another aspect of punk that was interesting to us back then. And then uh, was Hee Haw like a thing like with you guys? Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew who Minnie Pearl was. Yeah, but I would have never thought of that line. I was I had a, a dummy line in there and I was like, there's not enough words dave that rhyme with uh girl, <laughs> girl. And he need another one he need a he said, how about we'll dress like mini pearl he just right off the top of his head did that and i was like brilliant that's, that's the word. well uh, mini pearl wasn't exactly known for her punk rock attire though no but any <laughs> anything could be punk <laughs> i love it i <laughs> but it was it's 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 not it's the uh, attitude i think it is it is and i <laughs> i never had any popular songs but the, these are like my first songs that i was writing on a four track they i just wanted to make my my buddies in college laugh on a friday night hey listen to this you know and so it's just i'm, I'm getting getting such a big kick out of this uh the second gang backing vocal the second punk rock girl in my notes, I wrote, it's out of tune, it's out of time, but there's such a charm, and it's so killer that this got on radio and got on MTV. It's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we never cared too much to for pitch. But again, that's the reason why this works. You get some crooner in a bar singing this, and they're singing it in tune and, and in time. It, it, it doesn't translate, man. You, no one sounds like the Milkmen. Yep. <laughs> You're like, yeah, what else is there no, to say? No comment. No comment. I love that. <laughs> um, we get one 
of two what I'm calling bridges in this song. Uh, the English, yeah, that's right. The English call it a middle eight. Uh, you know, I, there's great tension here, Joe, going back and forth between just that C and G chord. It's so effective. Uh, the accordion uh, comes in here. It's panned off to the right, joins the party. And what else was getting on the radio or MTV with an accordion besides Weird Al and maybe the Traveling Wilburys? I mean, it just wasn't a rock instrument really <laughs> yeah yeah i think it steps it goes up a step for the the key change yeah or something at, to f to g because no and i just kind of like the way that sounded we went to the philly pizza company and ordered some hot tea the waitress said well no we only have it ice so we jumped up on the table and shouted anarchy and someone played a beach voice song on the jukebox it was California dreaming, so we started screaming on such a winter's day. How'd the accordion come about? Was it just kind of a joke? Or you just said, I want to play it, and he said, go learn it and come up with a part? I guess Brian Beatty, the producer, who thought, oh, accordion would be good in here, because we, we weren't playing any anything in there we're just doing we didn't have any other harmonic thing going on right he thought accordion would be good can you have a shot at doing something on it had you recorded an accordion on a record before i don't i don't recall no i didn't even i didn't even have a a such such a thing i had (laughs) um i had chord organ which sounds closest i guess to accordion of what i have it's one of those you know air fueled things and I've, I've used that on, on demos. And I also had a little Casio electronic keyboard that maybe could approach an accordion sound, but not quite back then. But no. <laughs> well, if you think that um, Mini Pearl came out of left field, let's get into these bridge lyrics. We went to the Philly Pizza Company and ordered some hot tea. The waitress said, well, no, we only have it iced. So we jumped up on the table and shouted anarchy. And someone played a Beach Boys song on the jukebox. It was California dreaming, so we started screaming on such a winter's day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's more Philly stuff. The Philly Pizza Company was a real place we would go to for meetings and stuff because it was on South Street. Also, and the whole deal with tea. Dave and I loved drinking hot tea. We would make make a pot of tea and have our songwriting sessions. And I've actually had the experience, not necessarily at the Philly, Philly Pizza Company, but other places, restaurants where you'd order tea and they would say, oh, we don't have, you mean hot tea? We don't have hot tea here, but, you know, we, we have this Lipton stuff we call iced tea that's not really anything approaching. Have you guys been to England, the UK by this point in your career? Because it's very English to, to want to have uh, afternoon tea. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but I guess we were, <laughs> no, we hadn't been there, but. We, we would go there a couple of years after this album was released. Okay, okay. Well, uh, did you really jump on a table and shout anarchy, or is that just uh, in the story? That's just made up for the, <laughs> the story to get some action in there. And also to bring another aspect of, you know, you see anarchy punks and anarchies. Is no more rules. And excuse me if I'm wrong, but I believe Mamas and Papas recorded California Dreamin', not the Beach yeah, Boys. and we knew that. Okay. <laughs> It's in, we it might be we were going way too far into developing this character, but we figured. Okay, so 
in in our tour for <laughs> I think it was our tour for Eat Your Paisley, so that would be around the time that we were writing the song. The Beach Boys did have a, a semi hit. I mean, it was in the top one hundred. I don't maybe scrape the top forty. I don't remember, but it was on the radio enough in our van. The thing about our tours was that we would all make cassette comps to play, and then we'd get so sick of them that we'd revert to the radio and the radio was like whatever yeah yeah <laughs> we'd be listening to top 40 radio out of just boredom and we kept hearing this horrible version of <laughs> the mamas and the papas <laughs> uh california dreaming by the beach boys <laughs> <laughs> The thought was, what if some young kid thought this was a Beach Boys song? Let's write that and let's uh, have a deal. I thought it would be funny. It is. It, 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 it backfired on us. I, I don't know if it, <laughs> it, it might have backfired then, but it's aged well. I think it's hilarious. Um, on, the, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on the last line here, on such a winter's day, we get the progression uh, of the bridge. It continues for four more bars. On bar three, in my notes, I wrote, there's a bad but in parentheses, perfect accordion note there. It's technically a wrong note in the scale, but it was left in. And again, yeah. again, was that just because it sounded natural? It, it, it was real? Yeah. What happened? Because I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't play the accordion properly. <laughs> Brian, uh, I guess to appease my ego... He tracked all the left hand oompa oompa stuff that I couldn't do. Ah. And let me track the melody line right hand. Cause I could, that's the one I could do the one, I could only do one thing at a time. <laughs> so I got to play that. I played the band note and I'm sure Brian, knowing Brian, said, This is too, you got to keep it that way. That's so great. <laughs> you know, I, I had asked you a bit ago, Joe, about Brian's involvement. And it really sounds like he was just a fifth member at that point. Like he, he got what you were going for. I can, I considered him that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, verse three, she took me to her parents for a Sunday meal. Her father took one look at me and he began to squeal. She took me to her parents for a Sunday meal. Her father took one look at me and he began to squeal. And the accordion is either panned right and left or it's in stereo at this point. It's changed from the bridge. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, well, that's lyrically, that's the big test of a relationship is going to their parents' house for a meal. And then <laughs> you're on the, the spotlight is on you. You're in the hot seat. Yeah. And then the kid, the kid is taken for a, a sec. Uh, he's like taken aback because he sees how wealthy they're living and she's kind of slumming it and he uh to be a punk that's cool too he likes that in a way <laughs> well the the chorus three again we get different lyrics again which makes what i'm calling the chorus every time the punk rock girl refrain comes in it's all it's almost like a verse yeah well yeah the song is so short you need to have you can't repeat anything to get the story through Okay, so yeah, that, that, that would explain the different lyrics. And this uh, chorus three, again, there's a line in here that just kills me. I want to talk about it. We'll punk rock girl, it makes 
Punk rock girl, it makes no sense. Punk rock girl, your dad is the vice president. Yeah, your dad is a vice president. Oh, your dad is a vice of a company. Okay, a vice president of a company. It's it really sneaks, it really squeaks by as what's acceptable for a lyric in my opinion, <laughs> but it, it rhymes kind of. Yeah, uh, uh, your dad is the is a vice president, rich as the Duke of Earl. Yeah, you're for me, punk rock girl. Yeah, again, what rhymes with girl? And that's just that's that song, Duke Duke of Earl, and we thought, uh, well, any Duke would be pretty wealthy. We thought. <laughs> and and was that okay with a struggling punk rocker? Hey, if her dad's well off, I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, the kid the kid is is not a punk rocker. The the kid singing the song, the girl is the punk rocker. Gotcha. And he even, he may he may be converted by the end of this this story. The uh, second punk rock girl gang backing vocal, it goes up like the first one each time. Other times the note goes down the second time for the backing vocal. It was like, punk rock girl, punk rock girl. It goes down the second time. But on this yeah. one, on this one, it goes up. I always meant it to go up when I wrote when I wrote it. But the way it got recorded is the way it got recorded. OK, but I always went the, the, the that was one of the. To me, when I was writing the music, that was one of the hooks that that I wanted to put in, is the way that it has the same punk rock girl, punk rock girl. It's the same thing, but the har harmonically it changes because the chords are different underneath. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we get a, a guitar solo right off of Chorus 3. This, of course, uh, is an overdub. The solo's panned off left, and the accordion is here, and I'm assuming this is Brian playing this part because it's the upbeats with the band. You kind of talked about that a minute ago. Exactly. How many times do you recall tracking the solo? Because he he had mentioned, Brian said he kind of wanted to get that feel of the demo. How did you get back to a compromise of, of what felt good? I think it was just repetition. And then I may have even had to, he, I think he played back the demo so that I could hear it and like find it on the notes. Because this was, you know, you can imagine the demo was recorded. I didn't go, I wasn't constantly listening to it. And then then I could get it. And then I got it. And do you recall again, you know, they, you could comp, you could cut tape. Was there, I mean, you, and more so than cut tape, you would punch in. Do you remember punching in or was that one take? I don't remember, but there was also another thing that they would do that he would do and other, or the next producer after that, where you would do <laughs> three, if you have enough tracks still on the 24 tracks, save that one, do another guitar solo save that one do another one and then do a composite onto yet another one there you go you wouldn't have to cut tape yeah was any of that done i don't recall punching in is was more dangerous thing to do yeah for sure <laughs> well, i think we avoided it at all costs because i do remember doing the punch in where it would ruin more than you would 
then it would fix and then you'd have to start all over again mm -hmm. on a track. And for those listening that uh, aren't uh, <laughs> exactly certain of what we're talking about with punching in, but there's times when, you know, the, it'd be like, here comes the part and the engineer or producer would just bang, he would hit the record button and you'd hope to get in. Sometimes you'd erase over something you recorded. <laughs> yeah, the, the engineer would be too eager on the, on the trigger and then... yeah. And then you, or or the other thing is they wouldn't punch it out. That was the more often you keep keep the recording going longer than it should have. Well, we get into uh, the second bridge in the song, and uh, the lyrics keep getting stranger. We went to a shopping mall and laughed at all the shoppers. And security guards trailed us to a record shop. We asked for Mojo Nixon. They said he don't work here. We said if you don't got Mojo Nixon, then your store could use some fixing. We went to a shopping mall and laughed at all the shoppers. And security guards trailed us to a record shop. We asked for Mojo Nixon. They said he don't work here. We said, if you don't got Mojo Nixon, then your store could use some fixin'. And Mojo Nixon, the only connection I can make here is that he had released some records on Enigma. Yeah, we met him because he was on he was on Enigma. We and we, when we found out he was on Enigma, I was really glad. Uh, we found out when we got out there, but on the way on the way out on our first uh, tour in '85, we just happened to hear. I met Jesus at McDonald's on a college <laughs> radio station. So we're like, this Mojo Nixon's pretty cool. Ah, I saw Jesus at McDonald's at midnight. Said it wasn't doing all right. Said it didn't feel so fine, fine, fine. Said it bad, 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 just losing mind. I saw Mama humping Santa Claus. She said it was because of menopause. And then to find out, that he was on our label was even cooler and they put us in touch with him and vice versa and we got to be friends with him and then on our i think it was on our eat your paisley tour when we were out in san diego it was we had we had a day off and it was thanksgiving and nowhere to go <laughs> nothing to do <laughs> and he invited us over to his house and we had he made, he bought a bunch of swanson tv turkey tv dinners and put them in the oven we had a uh, a wonderful time got a bottle of little turkey and we had a wonderful time so <laughs> i figured that that's the reason he got uh we put him in the song because we liked him. that's cool he was of course best known for his song elvis is everywhere and that song was everywhere in the in the late 80s the accordion in bridge two is now pan left and right we get that there and uh what did mojo think uh mojo nixon think of this uh, shout out in the song was he stoked uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then we we he put us in one of his videos when we were out there. We got to be in one of his videos. And you can't get much. <laughs> you can't get much different than Dead Milkman, Mojo Nixon, and of course your other label mates, which were Poison. Their first record was on Enigma. How weird was that? And Striper. Yes. Another Striper. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the Christian metal band. Yeah, it's uh, it, definitely definitely some weird definitely some weird times. Yeah, we also got to meet them. It was it was pretty cool being on Enigma. That's awesome. Well, ver <laughs> verse four, right outside of Bridge Two. We got into a car away, we started rolling. I said, How much you pay for this? Said, Nothing, man, it's stolen. We got into her car away, we started rolling. I said, How much you pay for this? Said, Nothing, man, it's stolen. <laughs> the accordion is playing those upbeats again, like the guitar solo section here in verse four. And uh, what's happened here lyrically? You're, you're, you're now in the car and, and you're hanging with the punk rock girl. Yep. 
it's like a full conversion and he's breaking the law breaking the law and that's <laughs> They ride off. I guess they ride off into the sunset and have a punk rock family. And that's okay. Well, chorus four. I I love chorus four because again we get another lyric change. Every every chorus changes. Punk rock girl, you look so wild. Punk rock girl, let's have a child. We'll name her Minnie Pearl, just you and me. Eat fudge banana swirl, just you and me. We'll travel around the world, just you and me. Punk rock girl. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess they, I don't know why they knew they were going to have a, a girl, but probably because it rhymes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the, what more can you say? <laughs> we'll travel around the world. We'll have a, l- a happy fairy tale life together. Okay. Well, on the line, a couple things happen here in chorus four. Uh, on you and me, on the fourth line, there's a unison vocal that doubles you and me, kind of panned off right. And then there's a killer turnaround on the eat fudge banana swirl. Uh, instead of going back to punk rock girl, you go to that line. And it really changes things up. That's to indicate we're something's different we're probably winding the song up here we go a big ending you know? yeah it's it's, it's a typical songwriting deal so. i guess so it's it's neat though i like <laughs> I, I like i like the uh, the wind up that happens uh also on the you and me line uh the six line i'm calling it we get another unison vocal doubling and then we'll travel around the world it's probably your snottiest delivered line in the song you just sound <laughs> like you're nah you know, and uh, I'm going to cause mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did the math in that video. Um, we, we were all way younger then, but man, you, you look like a baby. And I just, I love in the video when you sing that line, it's just uh, spit and vinegar. It's awesome. You and me on the very last, just you and me before the song ends, we get uh, that unison vocal again uh, and harmony vocals uh, panned off to the right. And, the band all uh, pr- pretty much ends together, and uh, and that's the song, man. It was really cool going through this one. Cool, yeah. <laughs> what is it like, before we wrap up here, first of all, you said you were playing this uh, with your previous act. What kind of reaction were you getting, and why did you think maybe this would work for uh, Beelzebubba? Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it a previous act. It was just our side thing your side that Dave thing. Okay. and I did. Okay. Because... Well, they, Dave liked to sing, but we wouldn't really sing too much. And he wouldn't want to do a lead in the... Dave, and Dave had a, a really silly side that was a subtler... We both liked the subtler music as well, and it just wouldn't work in the Dead Milkman. So we did this thing called Ornamental Wigwam. I didn't even consider this Dead Milkman material when it was written. It was really just for Dave and I to do another song to be, to be performed, and I... That's why it's so Philly-centric to begin with. It's mentioning actual places in Philly. To bring it to the band, it was it was really just because somebody suggested that, that it could work, and we thought maybe... It, I usually had a song that I want for me to sing on each album, and I, had, I think I had a song called The Guitar Song already for that, but then we brought this song and asked them if they would want to do this in, in addition or instead of the guitar song, and they... They, the guys said they were willing to work on it. 
as a song for me to sing. And now you were getting these reports from your tour manager to the manager. Hey, MTV's playing it. Your friends are calling you, telling you they're, they're hearing it on the radio. You get over that initial shock. The milkmen go on. Life life goes on after after this thing that happens, this hit, this MTV thing. Did you ever think 35 years later you'd still be talking about this song intently as you are? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's kind of taken a life on its own. It's gotten put on compilation. Yeah. It's gotten put in it's so great. a couple movies and stuff. But it didn't occur to me that this would even be the single, uh, the, the the video choice uh, for the album. Well, the song is, is is so cool. Thanks for sitting in with me today to, to break <laughs> break welcome. break this down. And before we uh, go, is there anything you'd like to leave uh, everyone listening with? What's going on with the Dead Milkman? This past year, we released an album called Quaker City Quiet Pills, uh, a brand new album. And uh, we just played a couple of shows for Labor Day weekend that were a lot of fun to do. We'll resume playing shows early next year. I don't think we have anything going on for the rest of the year, but that's what's up with us. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for sitting in, Joe. I appreciate it. You're welcome. He talks a lot of bullshit when he's hitting the rock, but we know grandpa's not a racist. He just voted for one. They're coming for his Jesus, they're coming for his gun They're coming for his Jesus, they're coming for his gun They're coming for his Jesus, they're coming for his gun Grandpa's not a racist, he just voted for one The song you're hearing is Grandpa's Not a Racist, He Just Voted for One from the Dead Milkman's newest album, Quaker City Quiet Pills. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with the great Joe Jack Talcum. But don't go anywhere. After a few quick words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Tess and the Details, a female-fronted punk rock band from San Francisco. They've been around for a little less than a year, but they've played a ton of shows and they're working super hard. Really cool. Their debut album, Runaway, is set to be released this November. Here's a snippet of their song, Canary. Chris and Chris. Chris, I was so excited for this one. When you think of punk rock classics, you might think of Blitzkrieg Bop or London Calling. I don't know. What What are some other songs you think of as like punk rock classics? Oh, geez. Uh, Anarchy in the UK, Pistols. Sure. You know. you know what, though? In my world, in my life, I think this is the one. I think Punk Rock Girl is... The one. Now, there's some songs that came after Punk Rock Girl that I also put in that same esteem. But man, 
this song is so incredible and I was so excited for this one and I thought Joe was really funny. He's hilarious. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I was just cracking up because it's just exactly the guy singing that song if that makes sense like his personality is exactly the same guy that's singing this song in 1987 or 88 or whatever he hasn't changed a day in 35 years except maybe physical appearance it's the same delivery he's just kind of you know he he even said it. he never thought even when he wrote it it would just another song in the repertoire haven't we heard that before here (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That's what's beautiful about it is that you can tell. And I like that you asked him, like, what was the vibe like when you were recording this? Was it tense? Was everyone having a laugh? Because it sounds like when you listen to any, I, I like I told you before we recorded this, I love that Big Lizard in My Backyard album. And it just sounds like people having fun making music, having a laugh with your friends while you make these songs. And it just translates and it's just as enjoyable to listen to as I'm sure it was for them to write and record. Absolutely. But, you know, if you look at everything that's here, the imperfections that I I spoke about in the recording, there's tons of people, myself included, that did home recordings, silly songs, and it just, they never gained traction. It's a dime a dozen. You can go on YouTube and hear these parodies, but every once in a while, you'll get this lightning in a bottle. You get a band like the Milkmen. Nobody sounds like them. You can't go out and try to do this song in a cover band bar setting. It just, it won't work. You have to be this band. And if you listen to them to this day, go pull up a video uh, of them playing. It still sounds the same. They've never tried to correct those imperfections. I told you before we started recording this too, that one of the bands I play in, at one point we said, well, let's cover Punk Rock Girl. That'll be a fun song to play at a show. And I think we realized within two minutes of trying to play it, like, oh, we can't cover this song. This is, this is incredibly hard to cover. Like, how do you pull this off? Like the imperfections in it are what make it what it is. And how do you replicate that? It's very difficult. Right, yeah, and and Rodney uh, Linderman, uh, Rodney Anonymous, as he goes by the vocals and keyboardist. There's a live video I watched uh, last night with him. It's a it's a newer video, and he's doing the punk rock girl backing vocals and some other stuff. And it's just again, it's out of time, it's out of pitch, and there's just something magical about it. There's a lot of bands if you did that with, it's just not going to work. You know, I really related to when he talked about doing the DIY tours where they weren't doing support tours. I know that I related to that. My band did that. I'm sure less than Jake did that when you were starting out. Before you were getting headlining tours, you were just doing your own tours. But they then were touring with Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> which is pretty pretty cool too. But And I'm sure just like you experienced too, and I did, you eventually do get those support tours. But I, re- I really like that when someone just goes for it, goes out on the road and does it themselves. And that's well, really their story. And remember too, you know, when they were out with the Chili Peppers, that was during Mother's Milk, which was their, you know, the, the Peppers' biggest album up to that point, but it wasn't the superstars they became with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So right. they were still doing the, the DIY club club scene. I had asked him about the first Unitarian Church. Have you ever played there, Chris? Yes. Yep, I have. Okay. And it's funny. They didn't play there in their heyday. Their, their first incarnation was when they, when they uh, reunited that they ended up playing there. Yeah. Um, there were things about this song that I never thought of. One of them being, so after he asked her if she has a bow, she said she did not know. I always interpreted that as maybe she was drunk and, and, and didn't know. Like, I don't know. You know, no, I never interpreted it as maybe I do now. Maybe I do have a bow now and it's you. I thought that was pretty cool. Never knew who Minnie Pearl was. 
I always assumed that was some punk rock person I didn't know. I did not know that that was someone. Do you say it's someone from Hee Haw? Yeah, it's the, there's an old lady on there, and her thing was she used to wear the tag on her hat, which I don't know if the, that's become a big thing with uh, with rappers and such in the younger generation. They'll they'll keep the tag on the hat, and I've heard some of them referencing Mini Pearl. So I think there's a little throwback there. Yeah, but if you go look at picture, she always has the tag hanging off that straw hat she wore or whatever. It's so funny that I just assumed that was some punk rock related <laughs> woman I did not know. And also Mojo Nixon. It's another one of those things where, oh, that's some like old school punk rock person who I didn't really know, who I guess he was kind of in a way. He was like a psychobilly sort of punk rock adjacent artist. Well, Mojo Nixon was kind of like his Buster Poindexter. That was his alter ego. I can't recall his his actual name, but yeah, he was kind of a novelty thing in the 80s. The Elvis is everywhere song was was everywhere. It was that was a that was a really big hit. But I had to dig a little further and I said to Joe, is it because of the Enigma Records connection because I know that Mojo Nixon was on Enigma and he he of course corroborated that because I was thinking why would you be t-? He, he was that song was big, but it wasn't like he was an A-list celebrity, you know? Neither was Minnie Pearl, I guess. Right. And it's cool they became friends. Man, I'd love to see that Enigma Records Dead Milkmen Striper tour. <laughs> I, know, I know you'd like that one. Hey, I they, also, could, they could play at the First Unitarian Church. It would work out for both, both camps. <laughs> also, uh, I thought it was really funny, and it's just fitting, that... Joe said that him and Dave really enjoyed drinking hot tea and writing songs. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> well, and I didn't want to get into it in, in press. Uh, it's one of two things. I was going to ask him, but I decided to lay off because we didn't really get into too much of this. But this is the kind of band, okay? And we all know what Ween was doing. But either these guys were completely sober drinking tea or they were tripping acid writing these songs. One of the two. And I th- think they were sober. <laughs> I think <laughs> or so, Relatively, too. relatively sober. <laughs> I kind of got that impression as well. And that, to be honest, that makes me like it even more. Absolutely. To, just, to be stone cold sober and just making each other laugh and then in turn making the whole world a little bit better with your music, right? I think that that's, that is so awesome. And Chris, I also like making the world a little bit better with our podcasts. <laughs> well, at least trying to, at least trying to. And we try to do that not only with Chris to Makes a Podcast, but also with the After Party Podcast, which is our weekly bonus episode that we release to people who are members of our supporting cast, which you can join at ChrisDemakes.com. It's just like Patreon. It's basically the same exact thing if you go to ChrisDemakes.com. What a segue. And speaking of segues, I've recently bought Chris one. You'll see him at the Winrier Young Festival out in <laughs> Vegas, cruising around on it, passing out uh, information about the podcast. So I'm going to get you a segue for all those great segues. Yeah, go to ChrisDemakes.com and support us through our supporting cast, which is our Patreon. For a uh, price of a cup of coffee or a little bit more, you can get bonus episodes each week and hear Chris and I rattle about other stuff uh, besides just the main uh, the main podcast. And please give us a follow on Instagram. I'm at less than Chris D. Chris is at Chris Fafalius, and I'm still doing those custom songs. Hit me up, ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. If you'd like a song for you, that special someone, holidays are right around the corner. I know it's two months away, but that's pretty much right around the corner. ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. And I want to thank this week's guest, Joe Jack Talcum, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we celebrate and occasionally have a laugh about those bands and artists that had one song that most people remember. 
Although many musicians may reject the term one-hit wonder, we beg to differ with their aversion to it because wouldn't we all love to have a beloved hit song? On One Hit Thunder, we're joined by interesting guests from the world of music and comedy to dive into one artist each week. Our back catalog runs deep with episodes about everyone from Wild Cherry to Snow to Tag Team to Harvey Danger, and a new episode comes out every Wednesday. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts and join in on the fun. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.